scripture reading for today is Genesis 2, verses 20 through 22. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the Lord, then the rib which the Lord had taken from man he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. Good morning. I'm uh, going to reiterate my first comment in Bible class this morning for those who uh, uh, could not be uh, a part with us at that time, uh, but I always try to make the first thing I say to a congregation, to a new congregation when I'm preaching in front of them, uh, that I, I, I know that I love each and every one of you uh, because we share the most important thing in our lives, which is Christ and our belief and our faith in Him. And so whoever you are, whatever your background is, uh, I know that, that you and I uh, can share love with one another. Uh, and I think that's great. I, I, I know that I can respect any person I come across because you're a human being, but I don't know how much in common we really have if I just come up to someone random. But when I come into a congregation that I know is a sound body of the Lord's people, I know that that uh, is, is a feeling uh, that, that I can share with you, uh, that we love one another. Uh, this week we're going to be studying a few women in the Bible, and so I felt uh, that it was important that what we talk about this morning is how God feels about women. This is something that I think we've, uh, we're having some difficulty with uh, in our current uh, social, cultural, uh, political environment. Um, what I would like to prove to you this morning, I, I think I'm going to, uh, is that God has a much higher view of women uh, than most people give him credit for by today's standards. And I think I'm also going to prove to you this morning that if, if we were going to say that God... Uh, had a, 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 a greater love for men or women, I think I'm going to prove to you this morning that women are actually going to take that, that prize. I think I'm going to be able to show you that this morning. Uh, but I, I want to go through some things with you uh, about how God feels uh, about women. Uh, many try to say that God at face value is misogynistic, or perhaps uh, at the very least interested in the subjugation of women. The Bible as a whole is characterized in this way, uh, whether it be because, especially we're talking about non-believers who haven't really given a study of the Bible any time. Uh, first of all, how women are treated in Israelite culture. That's uh, uh, often one of the first places that people will go to... Uh, to talk about what they really think God feels about women. Perhaps it's a misinterpretation of scriptures concerning either the phrase, women must keep silent, women not having authority over a man, any of the scriptures concerning submission 
Uh, I've been compiling uh, material for a, a lesson on, on authority uh, and looking at, uh, with this idea of submission, you come across the idea of complementarian or egalitarian, which is uh, the, the authority that, that women have in the church, in the family, uh, etc. And every egalitarian, which believes that uh, men and women are exactly equal, there's no differences in, in roles or, or anything like that, this word is a, is a, is a naughty word. Um, and again, I think it's because it's a truly misunderstanding of, of the term. Um, but I think we misinterpret some of these passages. Um, I've actually heard people talk about this. The vast majority of the characters in the Bible are men. And a lot of the women that are mentioned, it'll just say so-and-so's wife. Um, when you actually look at the, the number of women mentioned uh, in the Bible, um, you're about 50-50, maybe even a little less that any of those women are actually given by name. Um, and all of these that we're talking about this morning could be their own lesson. If you want to ask what I think about any of these, by all means, come talk to me. We're not going to cover these things exactly this morning, um, but I, I want you to keep uh, some of these things in mind. Uh, all of the authors, all the biblical authors, to the best of our knowledge, are all men. And that bothers a lot of people by today's standards, that none of the writings in the Bible are from a woman's perspective. And then lastly, all three persons of God refer to themselves in masculine. Uh, and then only uh, a handful, probably not even counting on one hand, uh, the number of times that God refers to himself in, in, in any other way. And so people will look at these things and say, obviously, God does not hold women in very high regard. But of course, like everything, God has a way of subverting our expectations. That based on the way we think, based on what we have decided by today's uh, sociopolitical climate, that, well, these are how we determine how God feels about women. And, of course, most of these are, are real misunderstandings anyway, but that's beside the point. Let's take them at face value. We have to remember God looks at things in a completely different way. In fact, we can't even think about God and his own thoughts in the way that we think about our own. God has so many other things to be concerned about and to take all of that perspective and put it into one mind, or at least one Trinitarian Godhead, that's a lot. And he is on a completely different plane of understanding and of reason. And that's where I say, I think, if we look at things in God's perspective, we're going to find that women are on such a higher pedestal than we obviously assume. Okay? I want you to consider... These three things. I want you to consider these three things. And if you'll turn over to Genesis, where we were before. Genesis, chapter 2. I want you to note that before we even get to Genesis, chapter 2, God actually already includes women in His creation. Back in chapter 1, God says that He made both male and female in His image. And he's going to go in further and talk about 
how women came to be in chapter 2. What God did in, and of course, God was always going to. I think the primary point of Genesis chapter 2 is helping Adam understand who woman is and why she was created. But I want you to consider right here what it says starting in verse 18. Yahweh God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable to him. Out of the ground, Yahweh formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, brought them to the man to see what he would call them, whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, the birds of the sky, every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable to him. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. Yahweh God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Here what God is trying to do, slash help Adam understand, is that Adam needed a companion. You also have to remember that mankind, that Adam himself and all that he would represent, was God's most precious creation. It's the only creature said to be in the image of God. God told him that he would rule and have dominion over everything that God had created. Again, because he's in the image of God. And then nothing else that he created was good enough for Adam. Not any of the other creatures were a suitable companion. So God said, you know what? That has to be woman. Woman is the only creature worthy of being the companion of that which I care about most. Isn't that incredible? There is no other companion good enough except for woman. And to that end, she then is able to share in the responsibilities of ruling and having dominion over what God had created. God gave woman that right. God loved his creation so much, he had to make a special creation. I also want you to consider this. God entrusts the care of our most precious commodity, children, to women. Yes, fathers have their part to play in caring for children, of course. However, God has women carry them for the first nine months of their lives, feed them for months thereafter, 
Then care for them. And then I, I have here in kind of older biblical language, care for them while the fathers are tending the sheep or plowing the fields. And if we actually think of more modern examples, we actually have a fairly good idea of this if we look at our education system. How likely are you to find a male elementary school teacher? I was a long-term substitute for uh, uh, an elementary school teacher. She, teach, she taught third grade math, um, and she uh, had given birth to her child. They needed a long-term sub. They called me up, and I was the only male there, except for one, and it was one of the janitors. Every single other teacher, someone in charge, administration, all women. And that's something that's sort of ingrained within us is when men want to be elementary school teachers, sometimes that causes us to scratch our heads. You think, well, that's kind of odd. That's just not normal to our current way of thinking. And I think because, again, deeply ingrained within us, we think women are the ones we can really trust with our children. Men are harder to trust with children than women, by principle, based on how we currently think. And so we, we like to, I think, say otherwise, but that's the truth of the matter. It didn't bother me any. I understand where people are coming from, while at the same time disagreeing, but I understand. But even from that standpoint, from a more modern standpoint, we feel this. Not only are mothers taking care of their biological children, we consider that mothers have to be taking care of young children who are learning about the world, learning how to read and write, and learning about their shapes and their colors and their numbers, learning about science and history and mathematics. We think women are far more capable of helping children in Proverbs chapter 31, and of course this is not the only passage that we could go to by a long shot, but Proverbs chapter 31, it, it says at the beginning of chapter 31, it's the words of King Lemuel, uh, which is historically another name for Solomon. But notice what it says, the oracle which his mother taught him. So everything we're going to find in Proverbs 31 are the thoughts of Bathsheba. find that interesting. And at first, she, she talks a, a, about him specifically. Here's wisdom for you. It's the first nine verses. And then she goes into verse 10 and tries to give him the best wisdom she can think about, which is how to find the right woman. It's so important that as she is imparting her wisdom, she says, you know what? The best wisdom I can give you is about the right woman. That's how important a woman is in a man's life. And Bathsheba understands this. Verse 21, she's not afraid of the snow for all her household. All her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. 
she opens her mouth in kindness and, her te- and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her. This is the, the idea here. And, and it's not just her making clothes and making food. She's even going out, she's buying and selling, she's buying property. But notice that what it says here, the ultimate goal of, uh, of, of this woman is that she is taking care of her family. Men are supposed to be taking care of their family too. But notice everything that she does for her household. I also want you to think about this. God has given the strongest bonds between parent and child to the mother. If you didn't know this, then learn this. This is so true, many children take ages to say mama because mama is not any different from them. Mom is not a separate entity. Mom is me. She takes care of me. She does what I need her to do. And so when you, when you point to mommy, there, there's no idea that's another entity. <laughs> that's how strong the bond is. Okay? And even now, Jill tries to get Bo to say mama, and he will usually say dad. And it was, she was like, oh, I just can't get him to say mom. I'm like, Jill, <laughs> it's because you are him. You are together. I'm gone most of the day. I've been a band teacher as well as other various jobs while I've been preaching. I'm away all the time. He's with you. I come home. He is so happy to see me. He runs up to me and I'll pick him up. He asked me to pick him up. Two minutes. He's back with her. Two minutes. You want to... You want to be really annoyed by something. I haven't seen you all day. Two minutes I get. You go back to mom. And this is what God created. God did this on purpose. He tells us over in 1 Corinthians that because God made man first and God took woman out of man, it only made sense then for the rest of mankind to come from woman. Eve, that's what her name means, mother. She's the mother of all living. Thanks, Adam, but ultimately we come from Eve. I guess we come from Adam since Eve came from him. Motherhood is so important. Our, as I said, our most precious commodity is first and foremost entrusted to women. And lastly, I want to talk about something topical in the Bible. I call it the greatest miracle. This is the idea that God throughout the Bible proves time and time again He brings life out of death. And it's probably the most common lesson God ever tries to teach anyone. The the second really close is, is trust Him. But otherwise, he says, look, I can bring life out of death. And if you actually look 
at, at how this lesson is taught, it's almost entirely centered around women. Because this idea of bringing life out of death is either opening barren wombs, one of probably the most common version of the lesson, opening barren wombs, and then the other is raising people from the dead. When it comes to, obviously, opening barren wombs, I don't know, well, I guess by today's standards we can have men with barren wombs, but definitely not a biblical truth. So, of course, that's all centered around women, but then you might think, well, okay, then maybe resurrection is focused on men. No, the vast majority of the time, it's about raising women's sons. The widow of Zarephath, the Shunammite woman, the, Jesus raises a widow's son, as they're in the middle of the funeral procession. Out of either of these, whether it be barren wombs or raising people from the dead, there are three in the entire Bible, two in the New Testament, one in the Old, that are not focused on women. Lazarus, and I could point out Mary and Martha, but Jesus says it was for everybody involved. It wasn't just for the women involved. Jairus' daughter, I could still say it was his daughter, but the lesson was really for Jairus. And then, if you didn't know this, but there's a man raised by, he's dead, they lower him into this tomb, and they, I guess they didn't know Elisha's bones were in there, but the, the man touches the prophet's bones, and he is raised from the dead. Those three are the only ones. And we'll talk about Dorcas later in the week. Those three. Every other version of this idea of God's greatest miracle, God's greatest lesson, I bring life out of death, is focused on women. And we can see it in, in various ways. With, with barren wombs, we have Sarah and Hannah. Of course, they're not the only two. We have one where God opens the barren wombs of 13 women all at once. This is a very common thing. Uh, we see Rachel's womb was shut up, and God opens Rachel's womb. This is a very common, relatively common miracle. But God is trying to get us to understand. I bring life out of death. This life where God has put us is a barren womb. Once we leave this womb, without Him, there is no life thereafter. And it is as though we are in a barren womb. But God says, no, that's not how this works. I bring life out of these barren wombs. And not just barren, Sarah was too old. Not only was she barren, she was way beyond the age of having children. And then, of course, with the Shunammite woman, with her son being raised from the dead. And she's a fairly common one, too. Again, there's at least three women whose sons are raised in the Bible. The majority of this lesson is focused on women. And God teaching this, this lesson through these women. And teaching women this lesson. I wanted you to consider these three, but I tricked you. I have a fourth. A secret fourth. 
And this one is by far, I think, the most important lesson for you to take this morning. Please listen very, very carefully. The most important event ever in human history, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, by whom we have our hope, through whose blood we have died, and through His resurrection we have life, we have that hope. Guess who got to tell it first? Women. The most important message ever. First told by women. If that doesn't tell you that God puts women on a very high pedestal, there's nothing else I can say to you this morning. Go and tell the apostles. And even then, the first person Jesus reveals himself to, Mary Magdalene, a woman. It's easy to look at other things and through our own very teeny tiny lens, God does not have much regard for women. And then you look. And you really try to understand. And not to sound uncompassionate, I don't understand why there are women who want to be men. God holds women in such high esteem. He entrusted His greatest creation to women. He trusted the furtherance of our species to women. He teaches His most important lessons by and through women. And He proclaimed the greatest news through women. We're going to talk later this afternoon. Why is this study about women so important? And hopefully we've gotten somewhere. Hopefully I've gone ahead and answered my question. You don't have to come back this afternoon. I'm kidding. Please come back. The next time someone has the gall to say that God doesn't care about women, God doesn't have much regard for women. Oh, how wrong you are. Oh, how wrong you are. And praise God that we're wrong. As we get ready to sing the song here in just a minute. So, women, I hope you feel your importance. Hopefully you're, you're any of the, the men in your life, husband, father, brother, whoever is a man in your life, helps you feel your importance. But hopefully you feel it a little bit better this morning. Men, hopefully you will do that. You will help them understand how important they are, not just to us, but to our Father.
to the God who gives us our salvation, to the God who made all of us and who watches over each and every one of us. They matter. And if, if we don't help them feel that, we're not exactly doing the work of God. God clearly in His Scriptures wants them to know that. We have to do the same. And Jesus thought that men and women were so important that He sacrificed Himself for us. If He doesn't care much about women, that's a big sacrifice for half of creation. Less than half of creation, actually. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus knew how important we all are. He came. He died. And He shed His blood so that men and women alike can be Christians. We're going to talk later in the week um, in the Scripture reading this evening uh, for this afternoon's uh, uh, lesson is that in Christ we are one. We are equal in the Lord. Just as I am. See, that's the danger of believing the lie that God doesn't really care very much about women. Because that doesn't really help to convince women that you can come to Him just like anybody else. Just like any man can. Everyone that thirsts, come. The last uh, illustration I, I want you to understand. If you're going to respond to the invitation that I'm offering, I'm inviting anyone who needs help from from this congregation to please come up and let it be known. But the bigger invitation is if you're not one of God's children, you need to do that right now. Because, I mean, you may not be here by the time I finish my sentence. I don't know. But God said that Jesus is the Savior and is the bridegroom, and the church is a bride. He represents the church as a woman. And you need to come and be part of that. You need to be part of that body. You need to be part of the body that gives life. You need to be part of the body that is loved to the fullest extent by the most important man in its life, Jesus Christ. You need to take advantage of that now. Once you walk out that door, I can't help you anymore until you see me again. Please take advantage of this opportunity as we stand and as we sing.